Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to the late kickoff with me, Jack Gifford and Ali Gray. Ali, mate, how are you? You all right? I'm doing really good, Jack. How are you? I'm doing very well as well, mate. We've got a very special guest on tonight. Who is it? It's the one and only Ian Henderson, Jack. Yes, the Rochdale legend that is Ian Henderson. Ian, mate, how are you? I'm really good, thanks, chaps. And uh, I'm going to take you on my uh, travels with me with that sort of introduction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're incredible. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> legend, mate. So what we do is we go from the very start of our guest career, Ian, and then the first question we ask is, when did you fall in love with football? So far away. What a fantastic question. Uh, I was inspired by my older brother, Tommy. Um, mm -hmm. I must have been four or five years old watching, um, I can remember it vividly now, not Nottingham Forest on, on the box and just loved, loved the way that football was played, like the emotion um, and the passion and all what comes with it. And ever since then, I was the kid known to be carrying the football around with him, regardless of weather. Um, and yeah, joined a Sunday league team and the rest is history, as they say. Mm. Did you know from quite early on that you wanted to be a professional footballer? It wasn't until maybe seven or eight years old, I'd say, um, I had the understanding of what a professional footballer was. Yes, I watched football, um, but I didn't know there was a, a career for it because I was so young. Um, but it's, it's an interesting question because I actually started off playing in goal. As crazy oh, really? as it sounds, <laughs> I was the cat, the crazy one that used to come out and take people on and <laughs> do bits and pieces like that. Um, and I can remember we was playing. It was Fetford Panthers. The um, the Sunday league team that I played for um, and I said to the manager I want to play outfield now and he put me up front and I think I scored six goals that game and um, just kept on scoring and scoring for them and uh, got scouted by by Norwich um, went along to a trial I can remember it vividly again um, <laughs> I scored two goals um, but my uh, skill set wasn't deemed to be good enough at that time so um, I went back to my Sunday league team and just carried on playing and scoring. And I actually wrote a a letter in pencil. I still speak to the guy now, <laughs> um, asking for another opportunity. Um, and at the time, my older brother, um, Tommy, was playing for Norwich. And I said, um, cheekily, uh, <laughs> I'm better than my brother. And... Uh, <laughs> He came, he then came to watch me. His name's Colin Watts. Um, and I ended up getting sent off in that game. And uh, for whatever reason, he still gave me a, an opportunity to come back. And uh, I ended up having a six week trial. And at the end of it, um, we played Watford away and I scored a hat trick. And uh, that was the, uh, the first contract at a uh, professional team. And um, I stayed at Norwich from seven or eight through to 22 years old. Um, had an amazing, amazing upbringing at the football club. Um, the coaches, Keith Rudd, Dave Stringer, who was a former first team manager. He was minus 16 manager. Um, 
Keith Webb was the under 19s it would have been then manager Steve Foley the um, reserve coach they all kind of put their arms around me personally and kind of coached me and mentored me through kind of the early stages because for whatever reason I started playing for the reserves when I was 14 so really young Um, kind of they promoted me through the ranks at quite a quick rate so there was a clear pathway from a young age to go through and I I found myself um, not playing too much under 19 football. It ended up being reserve football, which kind of built up the stamina per se. And I ended up getting on the bench when I was 16 years old um, against Coventry. Didn't come on one year later. I come on as a 17 year old against Coventry at the old Highfield Road um, as a substitute for, for 20, 25 minutes. And kind of that dangling of the carrot that taste that kind of appetite it gave me was wow I want this every single week um to be playing and get that feeling and that emotion um that is attached to to playing um because back then (laughs) money wasn't what it is now it was just played for the absolute love of the game and um I've always carried that with me an incredible spirit along that journey um so yeah, that was my my early part of my career at Norwich through to um, kind of coming on as a substitute then making a few starts here and there, um, but never really breaking through as such. Um, having a a good run in the team in I think it was 2003-04 season yeah. where I got in, got in the team for maybe 10 to 15 games and played, scored goals. Um, and subsequently, we we ended up getting promoted that season to the Premier League. Which, at eighteen, well, I think seventeen or eighteen years old, you're like, wow, this isn't real. Um, and the realism of the caliber of player, it opens your eyes up. The football club goes on a recruitment spree, and all of a sudden, you're right down the pecking order, um, having to re-establish yourself in the reserves play and hopefully get an opportunity to to play in the uh the promise play in the promised lands you know and um fortunately i did on a, on a few occasions which i'm incredibly blessed with um but at that point i've got well i got injured i actually broke my foot had to have an operation and kind of come back towards the latter part of the premier league season and we, we, we uh, fought um, two for now to stay in, in the league. However, come to the last game of the season, yeah, away I, at, I think we ended up getting, um, well, we, we ended up losing five or six nil. I can't remember the actual score off the top of top of my head, but that then put us back into um, the championship. We didn't start the next season particularly well. New manager, um, unfortunately, loses his job. And a uh, new manager comes in and uh, the kind of the story of my, my, my career, I'm going to call this. Um, I, I always use the terminology. My, my services were deemed not good enough for that person for whatever reason. Um, and I was in, ended up being shipped out on loan to, to Rotherham for six months in 2007. Um, I wouldn't say it was a particularly, uh, how can I put this? Um, successful loan (laughs) Mm. Um, and come the end of that season 
Um, I was released by Norwich. No, no, no kind of a contract to go to. And I get a call to go to Northampton um, where I spent probably 18 months sat on the bench again same sort of situation manager brought me in didn't fancy me for for whatever reason um and my I kind of mutually ended my contract after 18 months to go to Luton um where I'd, I had a fantastic time at Luton um great football club uh, Mick Hartford brought me in there um it was to try and help them retain League League Two status at that time. Unfortunately, they had a thirty-point deficit at the beginning of the season, and we wasn't too far off come the end of it. Um, we just fell short a li little bit, um, and at the end of that season, I was released by Luton. And this is probably probably the biggest crossroads in my career, guys. Um, stop me if I'm going on too much, but I'm just <laughs> trying to do it in, in sequence for you. Um, at this point here, uh, I was they was in where were they? they were in Austria on a preseason camp. I get invited out there by the uh, head coach Hikmet Hikmet Karaman, really really nice fella, um, and I ended up spending three weeks in Austria training and. Um, he must have liked what he see um, because whilst we was on camp, he offered me a two-year contract. I signed it um, whilst I was away. Um, I flew back into the UK, packed my stuff, flew to Turkey on my own um, and started a life of uh, living in uh, a different country, different culture, different language. So I kind of immersed myself in it. I, had, I think it was a, a program called Linguaphone where I was learning the language um adapting to my surroundings um learning to drive on the the other side of the road um and playing in the turkish super league um the quality was immense um i was surrounded by really really good footballers um and a big squad of people i think there was like 45 people in our squad um started off playing doing well for the team and uh <laughs> probably the craziest time in my career was in turkey in the sense of we never got paid um and the rival rivalry rival team in the city called ankara sport their president brought ankara guju so there was a bit of a merger happening um, and you could only ever have, I think it was seven or eight international players. And we was at our max already as Ankara Guju. But when he brought all of his players from Ankara Spore to Ankara Guju, it made up 14. And um, again, <laughs> services deemed not right for that person at that time. We had to configure out how to um, terminate the contract. I think I was like five or six months into it. Um, which in hindsight, I was pretty happy about because I knew I was going to event services previously. Andy Boothroyd gave me a call. He had just taken over at Colchester, asked me what I was doing. I said, I'm, I'm literally sat at home, <laughs> doing, not doing much. And this, this part of my career is the catalyst, I'm going to say, where the manager knew me, knew me as a person, knew me as a player, knew my strengths, knew my weaknesses. And um, I think the uh, respect between both people were, was reciprocated. 
And I went in there just to train um, because I was maybe going back out to either Spain or uh, or Germany to play. Um, and straight away, he offered me a contract. I think it was maybe an 18-month contract. And um, started off started off well. I remember scoring on my, was it on my debut or second or third game in? Um, because I got sent off in my, my debut, I think. Against Norwich, <laughs> wasn't it, I think? Was it against Norwich? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of my old teams. Yeah, um, which uh, it didn't go down too well with him, um, but he knew that uh, that kind of edge edge to me, and he kind of uh, didn't bat, a, bat an eyelid to it. Um, in that sense, he just put his arm around me and said, "Come on, we need a little bit better from you." Um, and I kind of then hit the ground running. And again, the storyline continues. Ad then subsequently loses his job, but his assistant John Ward takes over. But takes a, a real big liking to me and he literally said to me you're going to play every single game because I know you can score goals and it's the first time a manager's ever said that to me in, in my career um, and kind of went on to play all of the games for I think it was two and a half nearly three seasons there doing well for the football club scoring goals I was playing on the left wing the right wing um, in midfield and um, but never up front as a number nine which I came through um, youth football as, as a, an out and out striker but all of my appearances to that date were either winger or in midfield um, and had like really good time with John and the team we had a really good young kind of outfit that were um, hungry hungry for success and players came in came out um, moved on um, to Parsha's new and um, results didn't go our way and John lost his job um, but still in contact with John to this day and uh, again new manager takes over <laughs> I remember it was the 31st of January 2013 um, the next big crossroads in my life because I was deliberating whether to go and study at university to become a become a dentist now because I I wouldn't say sick and tired I just got to a point in my career where my how can I put this my career is being dictated by another person's opinion and whether they like me or don't like me um, whether that's as a player or however it's going to be be put across um, and I, I, I was like frustrated to be honest I got frustrated with the the decisions and that were out of my power because I train hard all of the time. I try and give my best for the team day in, day out. And sometimes that fell short, um, but it wasn't for the want of trying. Um, and from Colchester, I literally moved up to Manchester with the intention to go and study dentistry. Um, but my mate, Michael Rose, who I was with at Colchester, had left, left it around yeah. the same time. He knew that I was moving to Manchester. He called me. He goes, uh, Keith, uh, Keith Hill has been on the phone about you. He said, you want to come in and just train? And I'm I'm reluctant now because this is, seems to be like um, a bit of a pattern emerging here. <laughs> um, I went in there. And hand on heart, from the moment I walked into that building, the way that Keith made me feel was it's never ever been matched in in my whole career um 
he took a, a liking to me like no other manager has and gave me a level of autonomy to play football with, I wouldn't say um, no fear, um, just to be autonomous as you want as a striker. Um, however, he never played me up front to start off with. I've got a good story about this in in a moment, but he played me on the left wing, the right wing, or as a 10. And uh, did well for the first like 18 months, two years playing in that position. And we got to a point um, where we had good success with being promoted. And uh, there was lots of injuries within the uh, squad, especially in the striker department. And there was only me and Matt Doan left. And between us, we don't make up six foot, you know. Um, and he came up with this ingenious idea to play split strikers. Um, and it worked. It worked so well. So, so well. I remember Peter Vicente playing on the right wing. Yeah. Donny just tucked inside him. Me playing off the left in between the right back and the centre back. And we just caused carnage. And from that moment on, I said to him, you've got to play me up front. And he just played me up front consistently. And people always say, why is it towards the back end of your career you scored lots of goals? I said, because I played out as an out-and-out -out number nine and I could stay in positions to score score more opportunities than kind of playing on playing on the wing. Um, but my whole kind of initial first spell at, at Rochdale, seven and a half years, is magical. Um, I'm indebted to the, the managers that I played underneath, but also the affinity that I had with, with the fans as well. You know, it's, it's, it's special, very, very special. Um, I left there on kind of um, difficult, in dif difficult circumstances. The world was going through what it was going through due to COVID. There was many kind of restrictions and people weren't, weren't clear on what was going to happen um, to the football industry, to to the world world economy in general. So they had to make um, choices um, again. That's all been spoken about before. I, I left there, signed at, um, at Salford, had uh, two good years there, had a really good first year. Uh, I think scored 19 or 20 goals. Um, and we we just missed out on the playoffs. Um, if I'm honest, we, we we didn't really have enough to make make the playoffs that year. There was a lot of lot of change management. We had, I think, four managers in my time at the football club and you know there's no real continuity with with doing so um and had my had my two years there had a good time and i was deliberating whether to retire at the end of and end of last season um <clears throat> because i felt like i'd fulfilled the majority of what i wanted to fulfill in my my professional career um and i thought maybe maybe not i'll i'll get myself out there i'll get back on the wreck. I've got no problem with running around the wreck, doing my own stuff and just keeping fit. And I felt really, really good. You know, um, I was clocking some like good football times with runs and I thought, yeah, I can still compete. I've still got that hunger, that desire to want to give it another, another year or two. Um, and, and the call came from Rochdale. I had a couple of other clubs on the phone to, to, to want me to come into time contracts with them and as I said before I had that affinity with the football club 
um and i've got a little bit of unfinished business that needs to be dealt with at the football club and i come back and you know it was a an amazing welcome back to the football club um we we, we didn't start the season particularly well manager loses his job and you know it's, it's such a cycle in football and I, I don't want anyone to ever lose their job um but it is the nature of the beach beast as they say but it's it's not particularly nice to see anyone lose their job regardless um and that was merited because the results um the results didn't match what the uh the, the board and the ownership wanted so it made changes um and we're on a little bit of an upward tra trajectory at this moment in time um, we're picking up results we're a little bit more solid um and there's a little bit of continuity at the football club um so to sum it up <laughs> as, as a football career um i'd say perseverance um an absolute insatiable desire to never give in um, always give my best and to leave it all out on the football pitch um, and play with absolute passion. I don't know. How is that, guys? Amazing. I was not expecting to go through the whole thing straight away, but I, that, I was brilliant, Ian. Absolutely brilliant. What we're doing is we'll sort of go through specific moments in your career. So let's start off uh, when you were at Norwich. So in that promotion winning team and that Premier League team, who were the pros that sort of took you under their wing and looked after you? There was quite a few, to be honest. Um, because the age gap from myself to the next person, the closest age was probably, oh, well, it was a six year or seven year difference. Oh, right. Did you have the likes of Darren um, Huckabee look, look after you and Dean Ashton? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dean came the season after, um, but I've spoken in, in depth in previous interviews and podcasts about Darren Huckabee. Um, he didn't need to say a great deal. Yeah. It was from observation of the way that he trained, um, the way that he looked after himself, his nutritional intake, um his absolute professionalism was incredible and to observe that firsthand um i was observing and learning and applying what he was doing um but it would be very difficult to be as fast as him <laughs> and as fit as him uh, because he's still to this day the fastest and fittest i've ever been been around and He's an incredible human being as well. Um, but players like, let's say, uh, Ewan Roberts um, put an arm around me, Malky Mackay, Craig Fleming, um, mm. Adam Drury, Robert Green, like they were all Green. good to me. Um, they, they, yeah, there were some exceptional people there at, at the football club that um, helped kind of ground me and round me into the person that I am to this day. Yeah. What was it like working under Nigel Worthington as well? Was he a good influence on you, would you say? I'd say a good influence, yeah. Um, helped develop a, an even more disciplined side to myself. It um, was very much a rigid 4-4-2. And you had to understand when you could counter-attack and kind of the defensive shape. Um, I wouldn't say it was like free-flowing football, um, but we'd sc always score goals because we was a compact unit. 
and we attacked with speed um, when we did. Um, his assistant, Dougie Livermore, was was really good for me. Um, I always picked his brains because he was assistant with Roy Evans, if I remember off the top of my head. And one of my um, teams growing up was Liverpool. And I loved like Ian Rush, Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen. And he used to tell me about the runs that Michael Owen used to make as a striker, as a young kid. Um, and he kind of ingrained that into me as well. Mm. So then going from Norwich all the way to Turkey now, which you obviously covered previously, did you have a feeling from when you first landed there that it wasn't going to go the way you kind of planned or did you have full belief that it would go really well? What was your feelings there? I didn't have any expectations to start off with. Mm. Um, I knew that was the football club was in the the equivalent of the Premier League. Yeah. Um, and there was an opportunity to play against teams like Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, um, Massive clubs. some teams that have played some huge, huge teams. And it's, it's going to sound bonkers. This. Do you know how like Ronaldo was unveiled to um, uh, the Madrid supporters? Mm-hmm. And this is no word of a lie. There was 25,000 people in the stadium and that's how I was unveiled in Turkey. Wow. I was, I was like, oh my gosh, they're doing this for me. I am at best a basic league one player. And they're, they're, yeah. they're trying to celebrate like um, something that I may not be, which um, <laughs> I'm always transparent and honest when it comes to my own levels and what I understand. But it was a surreal experience um, of, of being there. Um, the initial phase of, of being in Turkey, living in Turkey, was amazing. Um, honeymoon period, you're immersed into the learning the language, the culture, the environment that you're around. And the football was amazing. Absolutely amazing. It was just football. We're trained twice a day. We're trained early morning and early evening um, because of the climate. Um, but I don't know whether you guys know about the climate in um, Ankara has really hot um, summers, um, but really cold winters. So it's a case of getting in as much training as possible in the um, in the summer months, because when the snow comes, um, it isn't particularly nice there. Um, but no, I, the initial kind of start was, was really good. Um, however, as I mentioned previously, new ownership, not getting paid, there's always going to be a certain level of disruption. And it wasn't just me. At the time, I was um, real close with Darius Vassell. He was there and later to find out that they didn't pay his uh, hotel bill and he was left not in, a, in, in the hotel and having to find other alternative accommodation. So it was a little bit of a, a difficult time, but... It, I always say you can always learn. You can learn um, from good and bad. Um, and one thing I learned was um, I'm very fortunate that the contract was written in English and in the court of law it would uphold against. Yeah. Um, they had a Turkish version of it. Um, and I was kind of acting acting a bit like a, a lawyer when I was there. And yeah. I was having to go to the notary every morning because... I wouldn't say I was treated particularly well in kind of the interim period when the new ownership took over and all, all what come about. I, I had a couple of Turkish lawyers working for me and it was a little bit 
obstruse because I was up at half past five in the morning into downtown Chenkier at uh, Chenkier is the city centre in um, Ankara where I was going to the notary I was delivering the information from the day before um, so it could be all, all noted and documented mm. um, but it taught me about contracts it, <laughs> it taught me about um, how, how, how good the um, English contracts are um how well written they are um and i was kind of dabbling in whether to go to university to study law as well off at the back of that um as crazy as it sounds um but no once once i knew that there was going to be no payment of money like most people um i had bills in the uk um and my savings were diminishing um week after week and i need to need to make some change and we come to some some agreement um, to terminate the contract, and I was on the next flight back, back to the UK. Do you think if the the merge hadn't have happened with the ownership and the two rival clubs, you would have stayed there for longer? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. I would have seen out my definitely seen out my two year yeah. contracts. But the manager Hikmet really liked me. Um, but because they do things a little bit different on the continent, you've got your, your sporting director. Your head coach is just given players by the sporting director to um, to coach and fundamentally coach a system that they want coached throughout the, the the entirety of the the club. That's actually really really mad to hear that, actually, isn't it? Because we've not really had that heard that kind of story before, have we, Ali? On this, it's it's pretty mental. Um, so going from Turkey then <laughs> to Rochdale, which is where we really remember you from. So we're we're Wickham fans, Ian. So we remember you scoring against us a few times. Um, I think your first goal up it was against us. To be fair, um, we remember certain moments at Rochdale. So we've sort of picked out some some like, big moments when you were there. The first one being that goal against Leeds in the FA Cup, which I remember watching that game. What do you remember about that goal and that game? Like, do you remember the, the feeling after scoring that goal? Because it was an unbelievable strike. Yeah, I remember going into the game. The manager told me 15 minutes before I wasn't playing up front. I was playing as a number eight slash oh, 10. Yeah. And there was, method, there was madness behind the um, methods, you know. No, um, because he knew that they played with one deep line midfielder that didn't really have um, any legs left. Um, but the whole the whole day just felt right from arriving at the stadium to that feeling, that buzz, that anticipation, that kind of a, an upset could potentially happen. Um, the start of the game, I had a chance just like it in the first half. Um, that just I think it just went wide or it went into the keeper's hands and I I truly like I work on these techniques in my career like the um, the chips the lobs the yeah. little finishes um, and it's something that I thought wow this is now I can't smash it I can't do anything other than doing what I did and if it was executed correctly then there was a good opportunity it was going to go in. And it was just a surreal kind of moment um, because that was probably the best Rochdale Rochdale team I played in. Um, yeah, it's a good team, that. Yeah, it good was team. a really good, really, really good team. But no, that, that, that emotion of knowing that 
what was it, 77 minutes gone and they they'd gone by that point. You knew that we'd we've we turned over an absolute giant in, in English football. Um however they're not they weren't at the levels where they are now. Um, um but no it was still an, an amazing feeling um to sort of score any goal but the manner in which to go and yeah. the the competition and the history that's attached to it was just it was just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, wanted to ask uh, about your kind of technique and stuff, you always come across a very technically proficient player to me. And you mentioned there you've been working on your kind of your little logs and finishes. How much have you done throughout your career? And are there any kind of players you like study and, and look at and go, oh, I want to be able to, you know, hit a ball like that or, or you know, take this certain touch? I've been very blessed, um, Ali, to have played with some good strikers. Um, mm-hmm. But I've played with some exceptional finishers. Um, one that you guys may know, may not know, is Dan Pro. Um, he was an elite finisher. I mean, elite with both feet from wherever mm-hmm. 25 yards, 30 yards in the box, could head, could score. Ryan Jarvis, these were yeah. young boys. Us, we all three of us used to play up front together and we all all complemented one another but then you go to people that have done it at championship level like Robert Earnshaw his finishing was sublime and he he had that where he'd go for on goal especially on like a wet surface he'd use the technique over and over and over again and then Darren Huckabee coming in from the left and just passing the ball on Riesque into the corner um Dean Ashton had every technique, every technique as well. Um, but I would never be able to hit the ball as hard as he can hit a ball, um, just from sheer physicality. Um, and then people like Scotty Hogan learned a lot from Scotty. You know, we was together for a short time, really, really, really good finisher. Um, Steve Davis, another good finisher. Um, but to, to ask, answer your question, like you take little snippets from people, um, you try and apply them, um, and it's all got to fit your style of of play as well. Um, and I feel that those types of finishes, the curl finishes, the the like whip it whips into the corner, and the side foot finishes, they, they suit my profile as a player. Mm. Talk to us about your relationship with with Keith Hill, because obviously you were under him at Rochdale for a fair amount of time. Was it brilliant from the offset, or did you have your sort of your, your conflicting relationship at, at, at points? I'd say it was brilliant all of the way through. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say there was a great amount of talking within it. We understood each other. We understood our qualities. Um, uh, there was a mutual res- respect, and it was reciprocated on both parties. Um, did we get the best out of each other? One million percent. Mm. One million percent. Um, and I think there's a there's a there's a fine line between um, kind of that mutual respect and. Um, getting the most out of someone and trying to help them fulfill their potential. I think there's, there's only absolute admiration from myself to Keith, and still to this day, we're in regular contact and 
um we speak we speak on a friendship level now which is absolutely amazing and it's the only manager in my career that I've ever ever had that with you know sometimes I might have done things that would have maybe got underneath his skin but he would have told me and I would have t- taken it on the chin um learned from it um and only ever tried to do the best best for the for the team and one another um but from a, a working relationship we got each other um and a fundamental that we both believed in is absolute hard work and never ever say die attitude which i may have been the, the person that sang his song on the football pitch um because i don't really say a great deal on on a football pitch i go out there and just do what i need to do um and hopefully that sort of leadership inspires other people to follow suit um because if they didn't follow suit or they don't follow suit you know there's a there's a level of expectations um put on them through the demand of action rather than too much talking mm. yeah talk to us as well about that that promotion season at Rochdale because I remember that season but I think Chesterfield won the league and I think you finished second or third what was it about that team that year that made them so successful in your eyes there was a group of misfits mm. this is going to sound bonkers um players that may not have bedded in at other football clubs um face fit and um, being the right profile for clubs um, and he brought a group of people together at a really good age and we're still a lot of football left in them and brought a, like a, a togetherness that I've never seen before in the sense of we're striving towards um ultimate goal yes we're the underdogs um in in every element but no one would ever ever match our intensity on and off the ball we was an out and out high pressing team and we would rob people of the ball when they felt they were comfortable we had um dynamic players that could attack with speed and speed kills as we know um and fortunate we had good players that could handle the ball in any situation to help us move up the the football pitch quickly um and there was a lot of players being bedded in from the youth so you had that element of um um association with the football club even more so um to fulfill what they started off um and that's probably why you saw a lot of players move on in my time at the football club because it was a a clear pathway for them to succeed yeah. and if they stuck to the plan and they were relentless in their pursuit let's say of developing and were hungry to do it day in day out on the training pitch which then converted into match scenario it was a win-win for everyone because we all pushed one another to become let's say the best version of ourselves and we was creating we we created history at the football club yeah with what we did and the subsequent seasons thereafter we had the highest finishes highest total points however 
we knew deep down that the dismantling of the the squad was happening because teams from above us and leagues above were taking players. Granted, they were warranted, but at the same time, it's very difficult because you can have to go for a three, four year build phase to replicate that. And sometimes people don't get the time that they need to do it again. Um, but yeah, we had an unorthodox system. We used to play me on the left, um, Scotty Ogan down the middle, and Peter Vicente on the right. I remember. A bit lopsided. Um, we used to call it Pitch and Pete, a diagonal ball to Pete, and two speed demons running through the middle. No one could, no one could, no one knew what to do with it. And we turned a weakness into a power of us that absolutely obliterated teams. Um, I can remember we played, who did we play? Cheltenham, Cheltenham at home. We won the ball in next to the corner flag in, in, in our half. And they counted something like six or seven seconds and we were in the opposition's box scoring. It's, it's bonkers. And we can attack with that speed um it's it's dangerous very very dangerous i i remember i think you you battered us i think was it four nil or four one that year and i remember thinking wow like i've never seen a team like press so much for like league two standard i remember yeah like i say it was you scotty hogan peter uh and then you had matty dunn in midfield at that time who was just pinging balls left, right, and centre. It was, it, it was really, really good to watch. Um, so then going towards the end of your Rochdale career, you kind of left under a cloud because I remember you, you got released, didn't you? Which came as a bit of a surprise. Did you not know that that was going to happen, that you were going to get released? No, we'd been in negotiations um, for a new contract since that September or October. Mm. Um, the contract that was near on agreed was retracted uh, and for whatever reasons. Um, and I found out on, on social media um, as I put a public statement out there um, is it wasn't nice, was nice in, in that sense um, to find out in such a manner. Um, regardless of whether you're, you're club captain, you've, You've done what you've done for a football club. No, no, no player on this planet should ever find out in such a manner. Mm. It's um, a level of respect, humility, um, and especially with what the world was going through at that that time, you'd have a level of understanding if it was economical. Um, but there was no communications, and there was a breakdown of communications as we went through. And, you know, we, we ended up where we was. And I had no, no hard feelings in, 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 in that sense. It was just a case of, okay, we rebuild again, we go again. <laughs> and, and I kind of wanted to leave with, with the good memories of seven and a half years. It's, it's, it's just under half of my, my football career been spent at one football club in and you know, when you look back in hindsight and you're, you're, you're a lot older than you are currently now, it's like, wow, 
they were magical moments and I made some incredible friendships and the people I was on a football pitch with, I trusted them implicitly to get me out of the bother when I needed them to get me out of the bother. You know? mm. So it was like, yeah, just ultimate respect. Mm. So now after you left Rochdale, you went to Salford and now you're back at Rochdale. What's your, your plans for this season? And then after that, do you plan to retire next year? And then go on to coaching, maybe. What's your um, plans? It's just a case of assessing mm-hmm. where I'm up to psychologically. And uh, I feel good physically. My data is still the highest. Um, I don't think that um, aptitude or attitude towards excelling physically will ever leave me. Um, it's something that may be ingrained in me. Um, I don't know whether it's a, a default, but it's always been you have to be the fittest. You have to be able to run and be able to sprint consistently in football because that is a fundamental. Um, but re- really good question. I I, I I ended up doing an MSc in um, sports directorship and I, I just finished that. I just graduated this summer. Um Kind of, yeah, something at an executive level, like when I come to retire, I'd like to to look at something along those lines. Um, because I do believe I've got a, a few skill sets and a lot of experience within the um, sporting environment to deliver some form of quality um, and, and knowledge to an organisation. So, yeah, it's definitely something in on my mind um but not just at this moment in time um it would definitely be the future to um take a look at um, i'm sure you'll be a, a great success in whatever you uh, decide to do um thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight ian um it's been really really great to, to listen to you we've been a bit we've been big fans of you for a, a, a while so thank you so much for uh, for joining us tonight um what we tend to do at the end of our interviews Ian, is ask our guests some quick fire questions so we have a a few for you the first one is the best player that you played with in your career and obviously you played with a fair few decent players Best player, Darren Ackerby. Yeah, he was class, wasn't he? Just a top player. Um, The best manager you played under? (laughs) Uh, Keith Hill. The best player that you played against? Boy Dembele for Tottenham. Everyone says that, that's come on here and played against Spurs. Yeah. Outrageous. Yeah. I bet he was out. I bet he was out mm. I think they were what was the saying that he could not make a mermaid? I think that was it, wasn't it? <laughs> you can't get anywhere near him. Yeah, yeah. I bet it was ridiculous to play against. Um the best moment in your playing career. Making my debut. Biggest regret in your career, if you have any. Can we come back to that one? Of course. The best advice that you received in your career? Never stop trying. 
good bit of advice. If you could go back and give one bit of advice to your younger self, what would it be? Well, these are good questions, you know. <laughs> Believe in myself more. Brilliant bit of advice. And then finally, describe your career in one word, if you can. No Nomadic. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> and then going back to the biggest regret if you could think of one if you haven't if you have got any regrets no i don't i don't think i have i think everything that's happened has shaped me mm -hmm. everything's happened for a reason yeah brilliant yeah yeah, well, that's brilliant, Ian. Thank, thanks again for uh, joining us tonight. It's been been really, really insightful. And we wish you luck with whatever you decide to do in the future. And we'll be sure to look out for Rochdale's results this season. Guys, thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I'm always happy to support anyone doing bits and pieces that's going to promote like positive within the um, sporting industry industry so keep on shining lads keep on getting bits and pieces out there i'm sure these things or these uh podcasts these zoom calls will will be beneficial and helpful for for some people or people at a, a right 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 point or point of readiness in their life thank you thanks so much ian for that see you soon thank you